And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Please be seated. Well, it was about January of 2019, and I was supremely confident. My Alabama Crimson Tide was about to play the Clemson Tigers in the national championship. We had a quarterback, Tua Tonga-Valoa, who was to be our first round draft pick. Four wide receivers who were going to be first round draft picks when they came out for the draft, and a running back, Josh Jacobs, who was to be a first round draft pick himself. We were undefeated, and we had just drilled Oklahoma University in the first round of the playoffs. For those of you who are Oklahoma fans, I apologize, or not. We're going to play a Clemson team that we beat handily the year before. It had a tr true freshman quarterback by the name of Trevor Lawrence. You might have known, know his name now. And I was very confident. My in-laws were big Clemson folks and are big Clemson folks, so it meant something to me that this game was going to be happening. Everybody was picking us. Some were picking us to win handily. We went into the game, and we got drilled 44 to 16. I went to see the in-laws that summer. I had to. I had no choice. I walked into the room and I caught my father-in-law re-watching the game. He looked over at me and he said, I'm sorry, I didn't see you there. The point is I had been convinced. I was nervous but confident that we were going to win that game. And boy, was I wrong. Have you ever had that experience, being wrong? You ever been wrong? Maybe you haven't, but you're sure that the person sitting next to you has. You know, you, you hear this as a pastor. Honey, look, he'll never amount to anything. See, This man will never amount to anything, this man you're about to marry. He'll never amount to anything. Can't you marry someone else? Then she marries him, and he becomes the founder of Microsoft. The ch children grow up and are very, um, uh, grow up very well and good members of society. Or maybe you haven't heard this: you can't marry her because she doesn't come from the wrong, come, come from the right side of the tracks. Maybe you've heard that. And then this woman, who didn't come from the right side of the tracks, ends up nursing you back to health in your acute sickness or at your deathbed. Boy, was I wrong. Happens more than we care to admit. And generally, we don't even admit it. We can't admit it. There's something about us we can't admit it. You know the in-law in your family who you can't please to save your life. The stepmother in your family, you cannot please to save your life, no matter what you do. The, their error is right in their face, and they will not acknowledge it. 
sort of a sad thing to see and a sad thing to feel when you're the subject of that. Boy, was I wrong. As wrong as I or anyone could possibly be. To go far enough to say it, we're wrong most of the time, whether we admit it or not. We are. Well, there's been a lot of passages from the text that we read in the gospel lesson in John 16, John 14 through 17. This is the Last Supper. And this is the last discourse, a very detailed sort of discourse that Jesus has with his disciples, explaining to them where he is going, explaining to them what he is about to do. Up to and past this point, the disciples were wrong about him. They were thinking this is the Messiah, which is right. But they were thinking about a political Messiah. That's what Christos means, uh, Jesus Christos. Jesus, uh, his real name would have been Jesus Bar-Joseph, Bar Jesus son of Joseph. But Je you hear Jesus Christ is not a last name like Browder. Uh, Christ is from the Greek Christos, which means anointed one, which is another a Greek way of saying Messiah. Jesus Messiah, Jesus the anointed one. <clears throat> and so in their view, in their understanding, he was the one who was to come to vindicate the Jews, to deliver the Jews from oppression. And they couldn't understand and didn't understand later, until later, that the Messiah's work was completely, un the Messiah's work was completely unexpected. The Messiah's work was completely different from the Messiah's work that they had envisioned in their minds. They were the chosen people to be vindicated. The Gentiles were the dogs to be crushed. That's how that thinking went. And when Jesus spoke of rejection, when Jesus spoke of dying, they couldn't wrap their minds around it. Later, when the Gentiles became uh, converted, after the, the, the resurrection and ascension of Christ and after the coming of the Holy Spirit, they had to have a whole council in Acts 15 to think about how this could possibly be, that the Gentiles were coming to faith in the Jewish Messiah. How could this be? That this was a, this was a, a very, this is almost an impossible thing for them to see. And so Jesus is speaking of how he's going and he's saying it is to your advantage that I go and end the church calendar and the church year, which is a, which is a, a great way to, to teach about salvation history. We're going to approach um, very soon the Ascension and Pentecost, which is the uh, coming of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to see the culmination of this promise that Jesus is giving in this last discourse in John 16. Why is it important? Why is it important? Well, let's look at verses 8 through 11, and I'm going to, I'm going to read them to you again. I, I read them, I sorted off reading them, but, but with that understanding, with that understanding of the context of the text, verses 8 through 11, and when he comes, talking about the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. 
concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. What is coming with the Holy Spirit according to Jesus in John 16 verses 8 through 11? Conviction is coming. Conviction about three things, sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sin because no one believed Jesus was who he says he said he was. Um, righteousness, because he is going to the Father. Judgment, because the ruler of the world is judged. Now, what does all this mean? We're about to begin speaking of the Holy Spirit a lot soon. And what is the job of the Holy Spirit? What is the, what is the office of the Holy Spirit? What is the Holy Spirit doing? The Holy Spirit is spotlighting Christ. He is spotlighting the work of Christ, the person and work of Christ. He is also working in the hearts of people. He is working in your heart. He is working in my heart. He is showing people their need of a Savior, of a Messiah. And he is creating faith. He is creating the capacity for faith in the hearts of people. People are converted by the work of the Holy Spirit. People come to faith by the work of the Holy Spirit. The church grows by the working of the Holy Spirit through word and sacraments. And the specific thing meant here in this passage, to convict the world, is that we have been wrong about everything. We looked at a crucified first century rabbi and said that cannot be the Messiah. Never mind the Son of God himself, the second person of the Trinity. We were wrong about that. We couldn't fathom what a victory of God might look like. We had our own ideas of what victory looks like also about righteousness. You see, we are so captivated by our own righteousness that we assert it everywhere. All you have to do is turn on Facebook and you will see a collective effort of righteousness. You know, you, you, one of the first things that I talk with young couples about when they come to me to be married is scorekeeping. What is scorekeeping? Scorekeeping is keeping score. I did the dishes, so you should do thus and so. I did this, so you should do that. And I'm keeping score. And that is, a, that is a, a, an effort in marriage toward righteousness. If I have more righteousness than you do, then I can hold it over you. If, if you have more righteousness than I do, then I can resent you. Are we having problems? Let's look at scorekeeping. When I talk with, um, with, with older couples, we have forgotten about scorekeeping. Let's renew our minds about scorekeeping, the, our, our individual efforts towards righteousness and, and, and our uh, places in that individually in our marriages. We can see how pernicious our pursuit of righteousness can be. And just the knots and the lies we twist ourselves into to maintain this aura of public righteousness. We're wrong about that because righteousness is not in us. Righteousness is in him. Also, we fall so quickly in that he says that the, 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 
prince of this world is judged. We fall so quickly into gathering leverage. Gathering leverage. That is the original temptation. It is is the seduction we fall into by the tempter's power. Gathering leverage so that we can have peace, so that we can have all these sorts of things which are good in themselves. But there is a seduction into leverage that we fall into. And we're wrong about that. Because a mighty fortress is our God, as Luther wrote. The Holy Spirit is here to teach us that, to help us understand that, that we are wrong, to spotlight Christ, to magnify his work, to apply it to you, to apply it to your life. We are wrong about so many things. We don't even know how many things we are wrong about, and we don't want to know. And despite the tragic consequences and reality keeps snapping back on us as we try to twist it, we keep going. But when the Holy Spirit acts, he drives the work of Christ deep into our hearts. And when we understand and when we grasp a hold of the work of Christ, his, uh, his, his person and work, his righteousness, uh, the, the ultimate righteousness being, being in, in, in him alone, and, and, and that the, the, the tempter, the, the prince of the world being judged in his ascension and the coming of the Spirit, we're right about that. That's something, when it's driven in our hearts, we are right about that. He is your Savior. Christ is your righteousness. He is your righteousness. Christ is your champion. And it is all finished. That's the big point here. It is all finished. Without a finger being lifted from us, it is all finished. The great reversal, our repentance, our metanoia, the turning of the other way, stamped in our lives, pointing us to the glory of God in Christ. How we are wrong. What, 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 do you, what are the consequences of being wrong? As, as, as you consider, as you, I'm up here saying, you know, we are wrong most of the time, and, and, and I, know, I know that I can feel the nervousness of this. And I, and I know the nervousness because I, 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 um, I, I feel the nervousness myself. What are we afraid of as far as being wrong? We know what we're afraid of. Rejection, consequence, justice. But how does Christ treat people who are wrong, like his disciples? He loves them. He loves them to his life's very end. So we can look at ourselves. We can acknowledge our wrongness. And may we all, even if only this once, be right by the grace of God in understanding how wrong we are and grasping his forgiveness.
grasping his love, grasping his mercy, his eternal patience, and his provision for us in his person and work, the work that he provides for us, opening avenues of eternal life, opening avenues of flourishing, of relationships in life and fulfillment and hope. May we all, even if only this once, this morning, be right. By the grace of God, through the work of the Holy Spirit. Amen.